Uh, Malachi chapter 1. And as you're hunting for that, that's the book right before Matthew. So if you find Matthew, go backward one. You're going to be in the right spot. Uh, We are talking about how we can have a fresh, renewed faith as we uh, make our way into this new year. When we uh, start moving into December, besides the chaos that ensues, we start thinking about New year, new time, new resolutions, pushing the reset button. We're going to start better. Next year's going to be a, a, a new Christian and a new way of life. And so we're going to lean into that a little bit in this month. And we're going to be looking at how God talked to his people about how they could renew their faith and, and get on the right track in regards to him. Uh, last week, we observed that God just simply made a statement That I have always loved you. And what an important beginning that is for God's people to hear. For them to know that God has always loved and continues to love his people. But we noted in that the people then responded with a question and they said, well, how have you loved us? And then God went through a whole explanation to help them understand how. We're going to get used to that sequence because God is going to keep making a statement. And the people are going to keep challenging it and saying, "Uh, we don't really agree with you. And then God's going to give an answer to that. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's honor. Now, that sounds kind of strange, but you're going to notice that God really talks about how important it is for us to honor him. But the way that he speaks about what honor should look like might be surprising to us, as I believe it was surprising to them, since in this section, they question God twice. So let's look at what happens there. And you'll notice in Malachi chapter 1 and in verse 6, you have just an opening introduction, beginning kind of statement of fact, a truth that is intended to be universal, which is simply children are supposed to honor their parents. Son is to honor the father is what you see in verse six. And in the same way, he says servants are supposed to honor their masters. And so you note that God just puts that forward and says, that's just the way things are. But notice then what you see God asking in verse six about that. If then I am a father, where's my honor? Now, here is this universal truth. Children honor their parents. In fact, not only is that considered to be a universal truth, something that God himself even commanded. But then God says, well, I'm a father. All right. So where is my honor? And then he also observes, I'm a Lord. I'm the Lord. I'm master. And so my servants are supposed to honor me. And so God then asks the question, so then where is my honor? And you have to love how this, this plays out because you'll notice that God explains this a little bit. He says there in the middle of verse six, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. Now, you think about the priests under the law of Moses, that they would have been kind of your religious leaders. They're the ones that you brought the animals to and went to to have your sacrifices for atonement to be made, sins to be forgiven. You would go and bring your animals and the priests would work on behalf of God and behalf of the people. And so he speaks now to the priests at this moment and says, here's the problem. You don't honor me. And in fact, not only do you not honor me, he says, you despise me. 
you despise and have contempt for my name. Now, I want you to hear that. This is supposed to be the people of God. Now, he's not like pointing out to the world and going, yeah, you know, those people out there, they really hate God and they don't care about God and they have contempt for No, no. He's talking to his people. And he's talking to the people who are supposed to be the religious leaders, the priests, and saying, you don't even care. You have contempt. Now, you won't be surprised by this. You're not going to be surprised at this over the next few weeks as we do this. Notice what the response of the people is in, in, in verse 6. How have we despised your name? What do you mean that we have contempt for you? Come on, we, we, we love you. We think you're great. We don't have contempt for your name whatsoever. We, 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 we're, we're worshiping you. We're here. Come on. What, what do you mean to say, as he says in verse 6, how have we despised your name? So they don't see it. They don't think they're being dishonorable. They don't see that they are holding God in contempt. And so God now is going to explain the problem in verse 7. Here's what he says. By offering polluted food on my altar. How have we despised your name? He says, your sacrifices are defiled. Your sacrifices are polluted. They're not what I have asked for them to be. You're not giving me what I should receive in terms of honor. Now, what do you think the people are going to say to that? <laughs> verse, verse 7 is though, we but you say, how have we polluted you? So here is God going, uh, simple truth. Children honor parents. I'm a father. Where's my honor? I'm master and Lord. Where is my honor? Where is my fear? How have we not shown you honor? How have we shown you contempt? And I want you to notice that he turns their attention to the place of worship. And he says to them, here's the problem. You're giving me defiled sacrifices. And they go, whoa, whoa, whoa. How are we doing that? We're not giving you defiled sacrifices. How can you say that we are polluting your altar? That's verse seven. How have we polluted you? And notice the answer that is given at the end of verse seven. Here's God's response. <clears throat> By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. Now, you read Lord's table and you go, what are you talking about? But you can talk about under the law of Moses, the Lord's table or the Lord's altar. Those are sometimes used interchangeably and they're interchangeably used here in this book to refer to the place of worship where the worshiper would bring the animal to the priest so that the priest could receive it, lay their hands on it, slaughter it, and then offer it up before God. And so here is the picture is here. You are bringing me polluted sacrifices when they're saying, well, how are our sacrifices defiled and polluted? And he answers them by saying, because you show contempt for it. Because you disdain it. You despise what we're doing here as you bring these offerings to me. And I think it is ultimately the picture that God is trying to give as this big overarching idea that they didn't value worshiping God. That they looked at coming to the altar and they had contempt for it. They despised what they were having to do. They didn't want to bring their animals. They didn't want to have to do what God was asking them to do in terms of these sacrifices and, uh, and offerings. And so what you are getting from God 
is a picture of the mentality of the people and the priests that they simply don't value worship. And because they didn't value it, God is going back to verse 6 and saying, you don't show me honor. You're despising my name. You're holding me in contempt. Now, I want you to notice how he illustrates what was going on there. If you'll notice in verse 8, he describes this a little bit further as he illustrates the problem. Verse 8, when you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. So he says, here's what you're doing. You don't care about my worship. You don't value it. You don't have any value for my name. You don't care about my character so much so that you hold worship in contempt. And the worship in your mind, this contempt of worship that you have in your mind is so strong that what you do is when it's time to make an offering, you find the worst animal you can find. <laughs> you go find the, bl- the blind animal. You find the lame animal, the diseased animal. You, like, okay, it's time for worship. Let, all right, we got to go to the altar. Let me go out here. Let me go see what I have. Yeah, I'm not going to use that one. That's disgusting. You know, let's just go in and take that one. God will take that. And notice what God says. I dare you to do that with anybody else is what he says there in verse 8. I dare you to give that as a gift to someone else and see what kind of response you would get. (laughs) I want you to notice that he says there in verse 8. Are you going to be accepted if you do that? (laughs) Are you going to show you favor? I was trying to figure out some modern day illustration of this since we don't go to the backyard pin and find an animal and take it and it's very hard to come up with one but I kind of thought maybe this would a little bit work like you're invited to a party and you had made a cake last week and you would eat like three quarters of it and it's been sitting in the fridge and you're like you know what hey why don't we go in and take that it's been sitting around a while I don't think it'll kill anybody let's just go ahead and bring that instead and everybody at the party is going to be like oh that looks Thanks. Uh, That's what he's describing. You're going and finding your leftovers. You're finding the worst of what you have. You're trying to see, what do I not want? I'll give that to God. So again, God is illustrating how we don't value God and how your worship reflects that. Isn't that interesting that God does that right here? That God says, here's how I know how much you value me by how you worship me. I'm gauging your heart based on your worship. And he says, based on your worship, you don't care. You're offering me the sick, the lame, the leftovers, what you don't want, what you don't need, what you're not going to use. You're going to give that to God and you think that's going to work and that's going to be just fine. Now, I want us to think about that idea about how God is being shown in the lives of these people that ultimately he's not important. 
I bet if you walked up to everyday Israelite in 400 BC who was standing there and you had an interview and a microphone in his hand and say, do you think God's important? I bet they would all say, of course he is. God is so important. He is valuable. He is high and esteemed. They would certainly say that God is important. But God says, it doesn't look like it to me. It doesn't look like it in what you're giving me. It doesn't look like it in how you value me. It doesn't look like it in how you worship me. In fact, notice verse 9. So now entreat the favor of God. That he may be gracious to us. That sounds good right there, doesn't it? But then notice how he continues with that. With such a gift from your hand, will he show you any favor? So here's what he's saying. If God's worship is contemptible to you, why do you think he's going to listen to you? Here you are saying, oh, let me find the leftovers. Let me find the worst thing that I have. Let me find something that I don't want and I don't need. And I'll offer that up to God. And God says, you and your own society wouldn't look like that. But here's what I want you to ultimately think about. If you take that to God and say, here's my least. Here are my leftovers. Here's what I'm not using. Here's what I don't care about. Let me just give you the bare minimum. How do you suppose that you're going to entreat God for mercy and grace? We're good at that. Oh, Lord, be merciful to me. Forgive my sins. Show me grace. But I'm going to give you the very least that I have. Lord, you give me the most while I give you the least. That's what's happening there. And what God is ultimately saying is, if that's your mentality toward me, then your worship is worthless. Catch that in verse verse 10. Oh, that there were one of you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. Well, how much in the religious world is it all about, you know, just give God something and he'll take whatever you've got. Here's God going, I wish you'd stop. I'm not going to receive what you're bringing. If you're bringing me your leftovers, if you're bringing me your trash, if you're bringing me what you don't want, if you're bringing me the things that nobody else would want, if that's what you're giving me, if your heart to me doesn't have a high enough value of who I am and what my name is, not only does he say I'm not receiving your worship in verse 10, would you listen to the beginning of verse 10? Would you ever believe that God would say something like that? At the beginning of verse 10, he says, I wish there was one brave soul who would close the doors of that temple and bolt it so that nobody would go there and worship me anymore because I can't take it. Oh, no, God will just love whatever we give him, however we give it. Wrong. 
God says, I wish they'd shut it down. I can't bear it anymore. I can't take people offering worship that don't care about me. That don't value me. That don't hold me in high regard. I don't want it, God says. I'm not interested in it. I have no concern for it whatsoever. God doesn't want our leftovers. He doesn't value it. He doesn't need it. And sometimes we treat God that way. Oh, well, we'll just kind of give him whatever. And he'll be fine with that. And I want you to think about the idea of God saying that there would be a place of worship. That God would say to the people who think they are worshipers of God, I sure wish you'd stop. And I sure wish the doors were closed and never opened again. Because I can't take it anymore to have a bunch of people who bring their worship, but they don't honor me. They don't respect me. Instead, they hold it in contempt and disdain and despise who I am. I hope you get a sense of why God is upset about this. If you listen to verse 11, verse 11, God says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations says the Lord of hosts. I want you to hear God saying, I'm a great God. I am a great God. In fact, he says it again in verse 14, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Here is God saying, Don't you see me as a great God? Now, let's back up and put the foundation to that. What did he just say in the first five verses of how this all started? I've always loved you. And I chose you before the foundation of the world. That even though you were going to be a sinful people, you were going to be my people. And then he turns around and says, I'm a great God. I'm a great God who loves his people. I'm a great God who is faithful to his people. I'm a great God who forgives his people. And God has displayed that greatness. He says, the whole world should be filled with my glory and my goodness. Verse 11, the very end, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Now, here's what I want us to think about. Here is the point that God is driving at. How God's greatness and goodness is dishonored in the world when we don't value him. I mean, think about it. How is the world supposed to see the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God if the people of God... Don't find God that valuable. How are people on the outside supposed to see the greatness of God if we don't think he's very great? How is the world supposed to honor God if we don't honor him? 
How is the world supposed to change its ways when we don't even change our ways? That's the question God is asking. I am a great God, and yet my people don't show that. What does the world learn when we hold God in contempt? What does the world learn when we treat him with our leftovers? When we have time for him, when it's stuff that we don't care about. Okay, well, then I've got time for God. What does that tell the world? I submit to you what God is saying is it tells the world God's not worth it. He's not very valuable. He's not very honorable. We don't really care. He's just kind of give him a little bit and he'll be all right with that. What does it look like? When we tell God that we don't think that he's a great God based on how we treat him. Well, how are they treating him? Well, look at verse 13. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it. So here they go. Full picture. Let's go to our pen. It's time to worship God today. We need to get forgiveness of sins and to make a sacrifice. So we go over here. We find our least valuable animal that we can possibly find. The one that we didn't want anyway. The one that was going to die soon anyway. So not much financial hit there. We go trot that to the priest and on our way. Here's what we're saying. Verse 13. What a weariness this is. And you give it to the priest. Here you go. There's my animal. Whatever, do it. That's what he just described. You snort at it. I love how the different translations try to try to get at this. NIV. They say, what a burden. What a nuisance. How tiresome this is. Oh, we've got to worship God. All right. I guess I've got some time. He might be fast. Guess we'll go. That's what they're doing. What a weariness. What a pain. What a burden. Yes, we have a great God who's forgiven us, but you know, it's just a pain. It's a lot. It's tiresome. It's not that great. Friends, do you think that God will respond to us with mercy and grace when our value system of him is what a weariness, what a pain, what a burden. Oh, this is tiresome. This is a lot. Guess we have to. Do we think that God looks down at that and goes, wow, I really appreciate that heart. Husbands, can you imagine bringing flowers home on Valentine's Day to your wife? And you hand them to her with these words. I got these for you because it's Valentine's Day. And I didn't want to have a fight. So I'm going to go sit on the couch now. We're good? 
I mean, I had to. Here you go. So we're not going to fight now, right? I got your flowers. Why are you all laughing? <laughs> Couch treatment, right? <laughs> because it misses the whole point of the flowers, right? This is the whole point of the flowers. She's going to say, why'd you bother? What's the point? Uh, You missed the whole point of the flowers. The whole point of the flowers and the whole point of the day is to say, I love you and I want to be with you. Friends, the whole point of worship is not to say, well, I brought the flowers. You're not mad at me. I'm going to go sit on the couch now. How often is that our mentality? How often is worship not saying to God, you are a great God. And I am amazed to be in your presence and that you would call me a child of yours. Friends, unfortunately, what we do is we act like this is a weariness. We act like we don't want to be here. We will try to get here as late as possible. See how short I can make it. You know, let's just get get in here late. Get out of here early. Leave as soon as we can. Give as little as possible and hope that somehow God is pleased. I had one person tell me this at another church. Please don't ever tell me this. But I had one person at another church tell me this. How much they hate Sunday night because I have to drive 30 minutes. He sat there in in the seat with his arms crossed. I said, how are you doing today? I was in a gospel meeting. And I walked up. I said, how are you doing today? I hate these Sunday nights to drive 30 minutes to be here. At least he's being honest. At least he's being honest. He at least said it. Please don't say that to me. But at least he's being honest. Five second introspection. What are you willing to drive 30 minutes for in your life? How much are you willing to do for 30 minutes or more of your driving? I know it's rough. Air conditioning, four tires, comfortable seats. We're we're sacrificing, I know. It's rough. These drivers these days, I know. What a weariness. Oh, what a pain. Oh, what a tiresome it is. That we would say those things to God. That we would look at our worship with such contempt, such disdain for God. That we would look at him in that kind of light. Friends, God is a great God and we should be thrilled to give him our lives because he loved us. We should be thrilled We should be thrilled to give him as much as we can possibly give him. Rather than saying, what a burden, how tiring this is. It's so much. 
one final thing with that. Of our, of our gatherings, there's like 163 hours in a week. And we have only scheduled four. Four out of 163 hours in a week. What a weariness. What a burden. Four applications. Number one, I think it is interesting that the book of Malachi does not start in verse one and end in verse five, because this is what the religious world wants to tell us God does. Here's what I mean. First five verses are, I have loved you. I've always loved you. I've given myself for you. I have chosen you. You are my people. And we want to just put the period there and we all go home. High fives all around. God loves us and he will do whatever for us and yay, God. And I want you to notice that then God doesn't end the prophecy with, okay, I love you. The very next question is, now are you going to change? Because I love you. So I want us to think about what God is saying here. Number one, first and foremost, yes, I love you, but that doesn't mean I'm ignoring or excusing or affirming your sins. The, the whole rest of the book is going to go through. Here are all your failures of faith. Here are all the problems. And I want you to see that God doesn't go, well, because I love you, you just keep on sinning just like you are. That's fine. His love is supposed to transform us. And he's loving us by saying, here's some problems. Here's some issues. So I'm not going to ignore your sin or excuse your sin or affirm it and say it's fine. No, I love you. And therefore, there needs to be a change of heart and a change of ways. Number two, God inspects the heart before receiving worship. God inspects the heart before receiving worship. We despise the Lord when we give him our leftovers. And we don't show him honor when we act like we don't care. We're not interested in worshiping. We're not interested in serving. We're not interested in giving our lives. We're coming to God with what is the least I can do? What is the bare minimum? I I like to frame it this way. What we want to do is we want to go to the Bible and figure out What is the least amount that I have to do so that I am sliding in through the pearly gates just by my hairs, you know, slightly singed as I'm sliding on into glory? What is that bare minimum? What do I absolutely have to do? Do you really think I have to do this? Can I slide in anyway? God inspects the heart before receiving worship. If we're coming to God going, boy, I just let me just see what I can pull off here and do as little as I can. Watch out. Watch out. Please know. These people were continuing to worship. They were there. They're bringing their animals. They're making their sacrifices. They're doing what God asked them to do. 
And God said, I'd prefer that you close the doors. Two things I want us to think about with that one. Number one, would God say that to us as a church? That the people who come here, hearts are so far from me. It's so minimalistic that I just wish they'd stop coming. And then take that individually. Would God sit down with us and say, you know, you care so little for me that I just wish you'd stop going. I just wish you wouldn't bother because you don't care about me. You're just doing it. God inspects the heart before receiving worship. Number three. This is not my line. I read this one from in a book, Mr. Gallaty. He said this, if there is no sacrifice in your sacrifice, then it's not a sacrifice. I love profound things that are so obvious. <laughs> what a great way to say it. If there's not a sacrifice in your sacrifice, then it's not a sacrifice. It, you know, What God is asking us to do, yes, in one sense, you are giving things up. Somehow we want God to tell us to not have to do anything and to only give him the stuff that we don't care about. But it's not a sacrifice if we're not sacrificing. There's a reason that God calls for us to give us his lives rather than, all right, you just go and you go live your life and, you know, whatever you have left for me, I'll take That's the God we want. We want the God that just says, you do you, whatever you want to do. And when you got a spare minute or two, you know, I'll take that. I want you to listen to how Jesus worded this parable. This is such a foundational parable to me. Especially because there is a phrase in here that I think has been regularly overlooked that we need to just emblazon into our mind. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field and the man found and covered up and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. We talk a lot about he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field. That's right. But please read what his heart was. He did not sell all that he had going, I cannot believe the cost of this field. I have to give everything. Oh, man, maybe, I don't know if this is worth it or not. In his joy. And that matters. So I would like to reword Mr. Gallanty's line just a little bit. If there is no joyful sacrifice in your sacrifice, then it's not a sacrifice. Because that was the issue. They're sacrificing. But they weren't giving anything up. And they didn't do it from the heart. All right, number three. Worship is an overflow of the heart. This might be the most important point. We aren't here 
Because I can go to Hebrews 10.25 that says you should not forsake the assembling of the saints. You might have grown up in the pews and heard that. You're in trouble. You're not here. It's not the point. That's a major fail. The whole point of worship is that we are so amazed and enthralled by the love of God that we want to be here. Worship is supposed to be an expression of what inside of us has been filling up that we want to get out toward God. Unfortunately, in America, in our day and time, this has kind of just turned into like entertainment. You sit, I entertain, you go home, there we go. That's not what this is supposed to be. This is all supposed to be interactive. You hearts engaged, hearts singing to God, praying to God. This is, this is your overflow moment right now to show God and tell God how great he is because he is a great God. That is the whole effort. That's the whole point. It's just an overflow. It's not, well, I really wish you'd be back here tonight as I want to be here because, man, look how great God is. And it's just an hour is all it is in my air-conditioned car for 30 I mean that's nothing okay great let's go let's go enjoy God together yet we're finding all the ways that we can possibly eliminate worship and eliminate worship and make it as fast as possible and you know we'll just, just shoot Lord's Supper cups at you to make it go real fast so we can get out of here in 30 minutes flat and get on with our daily lives it's like let's just hurry this thing up This is not just something to do to check it off the box. This is the overflow of the heart that God wants it. And we want to give it because God is a great God and he has forgiven us. But let me end by turning the kaleidoscope just a little. Don't just only think about worship as coming to the building. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Actually, it's not four out of the 163. But God wants your worship at 12 o'clock, one o'clock and two o'clock as an overflow over and over and over again to his greatness that you will live your life in service to him because he is a great God and he has loved us so let me ask it in the broader sense do we look forward to time with God and I mean here yes but do you look forward to time with God Do you look forward to time with God? Or do you dread it and avoid it? Are we despising the Lord? Do we show him contempt? Do we snort at it like they did and go, guess I've got to pray. Guess I need to read my Bible. Guess I should prepare for Bible study. Guess I should... Read his word. Guess we need to go to worship. Or do we show him that he is a great God and a great king? If we want to have fresh faith for 2024 and what is going ahead of us, it means changing how we look at God.
and how we look at what he's done for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are a great God and you are a great King and you are worthy of praise and adoration and worship and thanksgiving. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of every second of our lives. And God, I pray that you forgive us for the times that we have not shown you honor, when we have had disdain, when we have shown contempt, when we feel like you are asking too much of us. Forgive us. For when we have looked at you in a way that we would rather avoid you and that we'd rather not spend time with you. And Lord, I pray that today that you would impress upon our hearts and impress upon it every single day that your greatness should make us want to worship you. Lord, fill our hearts with desire and zeal and joy to not only worship you as we come together for these mere four hours a week, you deserve all 163, Lord. But that that would be reflective when nobody's looking, when we're all alone, that we show you worship and we show you honor and we give you praise and thanks. Lord, we pray that our lives be a living sacrifice because that would be our worship to you and it's what you desire. So give us that heart. And Lord, we pray that our worship would always be received by you. Forgive us when it's been unworthy. Forgive us for when our hearts have not been there. And give us a resolve to never let that happen again. But that in our joy, we will worship you. In our joy, we will sacrifice. And in our joy, we will give every bit of our life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Sing invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus today. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not seeking him with all of your heart, today is the day to make the change. Don't, don't let another day go by. You have a great God and a great king who wants to care for you and bless you. And he loves you and he wants you to belong to his family. And we want you to belong to his family. We want to help you in that to turn away from your sin. Confess Jesus to be the son of God who died for your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. That is your starting point to walk with God. We would love to help you do that. If you have been a follower and you've done that, but today's been kind of convicting, hasn't it? And today's one of those days to get right with God in your heart and to consider how you can worship him more faithfully and how you can give your life in a way that shows him honor and glory. We're here to help you do that as well. Can we help you in any way? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?